My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. Hi, it's Paul here. I really hope you're enjoying the show and I'm going to ask you a favour if you are. Please do follow us. If you do, you'll get to hear all of the episodes first and of course it helps with my self-esteem. I'm only joking. Don't forget to rate us. We're currently on 4.9 stars, which is really exciting and every rating makes my mum, Teresa, laugh just a little bit more. So I am here today with James Barr, who is a rising star comedian, is a wonderful human being, a campaigner and radio host personality. Now, James, are all of those four things true? Yeah, I think so. I mean, wonderful person, wonderful person. You might want to check that with (laughs) maybe my mom, but I think all four are true. Thank you. Nice to be here. I want to start this conversation, James, by telling you a brief story about my mum. And it's sort of how I start quite a lot of these episodes. And there's a question. So I want you to think about your answer to the question, which is, what would little James have done? And the story is this. My mum is a wonderful human being. She's mad. And she raises in a very sort of like eccentric canon is probably the nice way of describing it. In addition to being sort of vegan and, you know, very sort of radical, she didn't believe in competitive sports. So basically what that meant was any sport. So we would go to school with a note from my mum, which said, Paul and Emma, my sister's name, cannot play football or rugby or tennis or anything like that, basically, which was a bit difficult when it came to PE because we basically just sat, you know, with a skipping rope looking a bit bored and forlorn. But I remember this one time when the, well, actually, before I tell you this sort of the punchline to this story, it was ironic because on the one hand, you know, her theory was competitive sports kind of damage you know, kids growing up and their, you know, formative years, you don't don't put them into competition. But on the other hand, she was intensely competitive. Like she forced us, both my sister and I, so I don't know, my sister's like eight, I'm like 10. She forced us to play squash with her, where me and my sister had to like be on like the kids team and she was on the adults team. And she would thunder down that squash court and she's got quite large feet and quite large thighs. So you'd hear each thud like quite audibly and like absolutely whack with all of her force like the squash ball towards us and it hits in the head and hits in the face but we weren't allowed to keep score so we would never know like if we were good or bad but like she was obviously very competitive and like wanted to you know get to the squash really quickly but all of this came to a fore when I think one time we were at a local fairground and my sister won a goldfish on one of those games which is cute you know she's like I don't know eight whatever and she came back she's skipping along with this little goldfish in her hands and my <laughs> My mum basically said to her, you can't keep this goldfish for two reasons. Number one, we're vegan, and I think it's cruel to animals to keep them in captivity. By the way, we didn't have any, like, pets as kids. And number two, you've won it through competitive means. So rather than, you know, deal with this in a kind of, like, rational way, her solution was to free the goldfish, but there was no body of water around, so she freed the goldfish into the sewer, like, just down the drain. So it was all all of these things came together in a really weird way. And so the question is, what would little James have done? Your mum put a goldfish down the drain. (laughs) Because it was won through competitive means. But she's vegan. Exactly. I don't think your (laughs) mum's vegan. I think she's secretly (laughs) eating bacon sandwiches. And wow, that is awful. I think I would call Childline. I'd have called Esther Ranson. I'd be like, babes, my mum has just thrown my sister's goldfish down the drain. That's horrendous. Mm. What did you do? 
Well, my sister was crying. I was consoling her. But it was a life lesson. We knew never to go to a fairground. Every... And I think I've now got a trauma response to fairgrounds, to be honest. Like, I sort of go in there, I'm, oh, I'm not sure I feel comfortable. I think that children should be competitive, no? Otherwise, how do we succeed? Mm. I mean, that would be the obvious answer, right? Like, I certainly feel that as well. But she was, you know, she was quite radical, I think it's fair to say. But enough about my mum. Let's talk about your mum. Paint as a mental picture, but don't tell me her name because I'm going to try and guess her name on the basis <laughs> of what you say. Right, okay. Well, I was about to start with her name. So <laughs> she's cute. She's little. She's got blonde hair. Although, obviously, she's dyeing it, but who isn't? And she... What can I tell you? Well, she was born in Lancashire and is really a Blackpool girl, but actually grew up in London very quickly as my nan and granddad moved to London as she was born. And so she grew up in a place I ended up living, actually, in South London near Norwood. And I ended up living in Tulse Hill. So when I'd moved to Tulse Hill, mum was like, oh, my God, I have to show you all the places I used to live. And I was like, oh, God, I don't really care, but fine. And then we drove <laughs> around and she showed me some houses, which I can't remember. And what else can I tell you about my mum? She's very strong for her children, not so strong for herself. She doesn't like eating food she's never tried before. She will not try new things. She does not enjoy cheese. So we don't bond over pizza, which is a real problem for me. And it's quite difficult whenever we go for dinner because it has to be really basic. It has to be a burger, no mayonnaise, no salad. She'd probably be quite embarrassed if I was, if she knew I was telling you this stuff. <laughs> well, your mum and I share one thing in that I hate cheese, but that's a different story for another day. I'm going to say, based on that wonderful and sort of eclectic description, I'm going to hazard a guess and say Barbara. Barbara from Blackpool? You're close in that it's the next letter in the alphabet, but it's actually uh... Scylla. No, it's Colleen. <laughs> Colleen. Colleen. Wow. Colleen, even. I said it wrong. <laughs> Colleen, it's Colleen. Colleen. Has she got Colleen. Irish heritage? Interesting question. That I'm not sure on, but I don't think so. I don't think there's Irish heritage. Mm, okay. So tell me, what sort of stories or kind of memories do you have from, you know, when you're growing up with your mum? Because, you know, you moved around. She, you know, has sort of like come from the north. That kind of paints a picture in my head. Like, give us some sort of stories that give great examples of who Colleen is. I guess she embarrassed me when she, like, walk in on me and my boyfriend doing it. But I never actually spoke to her again about that. It just happened. And she pretended it wasn't happening and just continued talking to me. That was quite embarrassing. But it's not really her fault, more my fault. Yeah. So, okay, I kind of have to ask the question, what possessed her to just carry on talking as opposed to sort of spin 180 and kind of... I guess because I guess I was pretending and she was pretending and the other guy was just pretending and it was just like, okay, cool, yeah, we're just in bed, like, with no clothes on for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) And there was another time where she came to meet me at my flat and this guy was leaving at the same time as me who'd been staying over. And instead of just saying, like, hi, she was like, oh, who's that? And I'm like, oh, why'd you have to ask me who that is, clearly it's just a guy I've slept with. Because I don't lie to my mum, I've never lied. I just tell the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So she was like, who's that? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Just the guy. (laughs) I can tell you his profile name, but not his real name. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my mum doesn't have a Northern accent because she grew up in London. So she's very like Cockney more than anything. 
in terms of like stories of growing up, I remember her being like my best friend, I suppose. My sister was very jealous of our relationship because I was the favorite, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and probably still am. No, I'm not sure if that's true, actually, until I got a grand dog for her because my sister has children. So she's a grandmom. And so maybe I'm not the favorite anymore. <laughs> But one of the stories that sort of sticks out is when I came out to my mom, actually, because I think that was quite difficult to deal with. And so the trauma of that is like really sort of cemented in my mind. And I think I think any mom back then found it difficult when someone came out because this was like late 90s, early noughties. And she was like, oh, can you shut the window? Because the neighbors might hear. So I went over to the window and screamed, I'm gay out the window. That probably gives you an idea of, of where we were both at. And I used to leave sexual health leaflets lying around the house or in her bedroom so she would know that I wasn't going to do anything reckless. And obviously I'd come out in the hangover of HIV and AIDS as well, so she was pretty scared that I was going to die. This got dark very quickly. So that's probably one of the major stories. And I was probably... I was like 15 when I came out. Yeah. So I do yeah. think I was very young. And... Before that, it was always memories of her and dad arguing or divorce. There was a lot of divorce lingering around. I mean, it doesn't sound great. It's not like a fun, sexy time, is it? Just to clarify, when you say a lot of divorce, you mean once as opposed oh my God, she to had so many, many boyfriends. No, she had so many boyfriends. <laughs> so many boyfriends. <laughs> yeah. So Amazing. Like, like mother, like son. Yeah, there was a lot. There was Steve. There was Keith. She ended up with Paul, who is my stepdad so there was only one divorce really my mum and dad and it was for the best like thank god and I'm so happy that they did break up because I think our lives were a lot richer because of that and they both definitely did the right thing for them and they're with much better people for who they are now so yeah but there were a few boyfriends and she used to go on holiday quite a lot with said boyfriends so I would be left to my own devices with my dad or and my stepmom and my stepbrothers Amazing. I kind of have to ask the question, given that you've talked a little bit about coming out to your mum, because a lot of your comedy material, and in fact, your kind of entire Edinburgh run was about, well, referenced sexuality and sort of, you know, queer living and all those sorts of things. Can you, if you're comfortable, talk a little bit about that, I wouldn't call it transformation, but that journey from her perspective, from shot the window to presumably you know a different sort of reaction now absolutely i think as i educated my mom and as we watched movies together it became a lot clearer to my mother that it wasn't a choice and that it wasn't her fault and i think as soon as she realized it wasn't her divorce or whatever that was to blame that she got on board with it and i suppose that's a fear that a lot of queer people might have like am i this because of that but really we're just born this way thank you lady gaga for helping us figure that out and yeah, I think as my mother became more aware of that, she also was able to accept me more for who I was. And we built our relationship from there. And has she seen your show or any of your material? What was the reaction there? Yeah, my mum's seen it a lot. Oh my God, no, she loves it. She thinks it's really funny. She said it was very naughty and that I was like Julian Clary. She thought I'd get in a lot of trouble. But no, I think she found it really funny. She's been quite a lot of times. My stepdad's also been, and he found it very funny. They sort of love it. And my mom's got a very good sense of humour anyway, so she's got quite a dirty sense of humour, I think. Not that I've really seen that that often, but there's definitely something mm -hmm. there. So, 
Yeah, no, my mum was fully on board with that. And you said, like, my show is talking about my sexuality a lot. And that is true, but it's so annoying that if a straight comedian was doing the same stories about their life, their growing up, that no one would turn to them and say, oh, you're doing a lot of stories about your sexuality. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, that's what my show is about, really. It's like a response to the fact that actually I'm just gay. It doesn't make me who I am. I'm just talking about my life. But because the world isn't used to seeing or hearing that, it suddenly makes me a gay comedian. Or it's like, oh, you're telling gay stories. But really, I'm just telling stories about my life as a straight yeah. comedian would. It's really interesting that you say that because, you know, I'm a gay man and I identified you and you write to call me out, not call me out, but, you know, sort of reference it as a gay comedian. <laughs> and you're a comedian. <laughs> like, why is it? But it's interesting that I've been sort of like conditioned in that way to draw a distinction between there's comedy and there's gay comedy. Is that something you, I know your show is kind of about tackling that, but is that something you come across even within, you know, gay friends or colleagues or, or audiences? Oh my God, I mean, it's just everywhere. It's like across the whole world, isn't it? I'm sure if I had a brother on my mum's side, she'd be like, oh, he's the gay one and he's the straight one if my brother were straight, but that brother doesn't exist. I do have two stepbrothers who are straight. I don't know. I think everyone draws that distinction between gay and straight. It's frustrating, yeah. I do find it annoying. And I wasn't calling you out. I was more just sort of pointing it out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. the same thing. <laughs> that, that, yeah. Your point out is my call out. No, but thank you. Like, because it is something that I, I suppose it's, you know, there's certain things that you subconsciously do or say, and it, it's good to kind of have them brought to the surface. What did your mum, sort of separate kind of topic, what did your mum do or what could she do as a kid or a young adult that kind of pissed you off or embarrassed you? As an adult, I think one of the things that's embarrassed me more recently with my mum, my sister worked for Virgin atlantic for quite a while and so we all flew to new york we were able to fly in upper class for free so obviously i was living my best life drinking champagne because these were on my sister's staff travel but my mum was just embarrassed to be there and she was like oh no i can't possibly have a cup of tea don't worry like if it's free no i should be paying for it and then they obviously have chairs right that become beds and so i'm like right i'm going to sleep later as i've had too much champagne and my mum was really tired, but she was like, oh, no, I don't want to ask them to put the bed down. That's far too... I don't want to put them into any trouble. That I find embarrassing. I'm like, mum, you're meant to be here. Like, <laughs> yeah. drink the free champagne and get the yeah. bed sorted. I remember seeing you, I think, for the first time. I didn't know you were a comedian. I didn't know kind of who you were. But I saw you for the first time on TikTok when you kind of went head to head with Piers Morgan on well, a whole bunch of stuff, but the kind of trans issue as well. I have a question, which is, did your mum see it? What did she think? And how did it feel going toe to toe with the big man? I mean, he is just a showman, isn't he? I don't know if he believes what he's saying some of the time, but it's not hard to... In my podcast, The Gay and a Non-Gay, we interview lots of different people. And we interviewed a guy who identifies as an ex-racist. And he used to go around America with similar gangs to the Ku Klux Klan, if you can call them a gang, with all that ideology. And he's very open about the fact that he was a terrible person. And he says this thing that really struck me at the time. And it's like, you can't win a logical debate with an illogical person. And that really stood out. And I think we do all this like back and forth on Twitter with people that have different views all the time. And none of it is going anywhere because you can't win with these people. So I guess when I chatted to him, 
when I went head to head with Pierce and I'd do it again, you just got to know, like, I'm not going to rise to your bait. Like, this is my opinion and I'm going to stick to it. And I'm just going to repeat that opinion until you hear it. And I think it's what my therapist would call like the broken record technique. Just repeat, repeat your demands and make sure people listen to you. And so Mm. I just stuck to my opinion without getting annoyed because it is just stupid. I mean, I probably shouldn't have told him on air that I was bored, but (laughs) (laughs) but I was. And I am bored of these conversations about gender and identity just constantly coming up. We should be discussing cost of living crisis. What bathroom someone should use is really none of anyone else's business. Exactly. And I think that's such a healthy response to kind of acknowledge that, look, you know, here's what I think. I think here's what the majority of people think, to be honest. And by the way, you know, let's also refocus on these other big things. Or, you, you mentioned, by the way, you're boring. <laughs> by the way, you're incredibly boring. <laughs> or you're, you're boring me with these questions. You mentioned Liz Tross. She's a mum. What does your mum think about her? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't asked her, actually. I'd be really interested to know if she would vote Tory or not yeah my mum's probably a bit of a liz trust because she's voted for for lib dems tories labor like she's been all over the shop so and actually to be honest i do think that's healthy i think people should be allowed to change their minds and switch allegiances depending on what's going on and what their views are at the time so yeah i don't know what my mum thinks of liz trust it'd be interesting to see i don't know if liz trust knows what she thinks of liz trust <laughs> i think liz trust knows what she thinks of liz trust in the moment that Liz Truss is cognizant. And I think that there's probably, you know, a little bit of like in and out with that. My mum, I'm sure my mum's not the only person or the first person. My mum calls her the cheese woman, which I quite like. The cheese woman? The cheese woman. Well, I mean, the famous cheese speech. Oh, she could be the pork woman. Right. The pork markets in Beijing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're recording this only one day into her prime ministerhood so it's difficult (laughs) to say but i certainly don't like any of the stuff that's come out of her mouth over the last six to twelve months especially relating to conversion therapy trans people i think it's a very worrying cabinet full of very scary right-wing trolls so it's going to be interesting to see what a government that no one voted for decides to do Mm. in the absence Mm. of a general election which I cannot wait for. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun ride, if that's anyone's definition of fun. I want to come back a little bit to what you were saying on the trans issue, not to sort of belabor the point, because I think everything that you said is right. But here's the thing. There, you know, people like Liz Truss, Kemi Badenoch, that ilk of politician, are using the issue as a, as a dog whistle. But the implication of that is that it is working, certainly for a section of the population, not necessarily the majority, but it is working for folk. Let's just sort of say one of those people is my mum or your mum. I don't think they either are, but I'm just using them as an example of people who are, you know, not necessarily deeply engaged in politics, you know, fairly sort of like normal living, et cetera, et cetera. How do you get someone like that to either sort of realise, look, you know, this is an issue which is really personal to individuals and there are bigger issues, or to kind of shift. Is it about, the reason I'm asking this is because I've sort of got like a little bit of a theory, but I'd be interested in kind of your perspective. Is it a little bit about, you know, the sort of, the kind of argument, not for gay people, but put forward by 
gay and queer folk over the last sort of 10, 20 years, love is love. Because, you know, no one's saying, you know, it's right or wrong to be gay. I mean, it's almost like, you know, you're sidestepping that whole question. It's, look, why wouldn't you fucking love your gay child? Similarly, why wouldn't you love your trans child? So it's interesting you heard that as that, because when I heard love is love, and I've always sort of thought it meant my love is the same as your love. Like, I love my boyfriend, I'm gay, but that's the same as how you love your husband, your wife, whatever. Like, that's how I heard love is love. So it's the same in what you're saying. Like, you love your children. Why wouldn't you love your trans children, your gender diverse children, your queer children? I do think it comes down to that. I think if you put something in a real life perspective for someone, then they understand it. I think if it's just written in the Daily Mail with, you know, surrounded by lies to distract you from what's really going on in the world, then I think you could very easily be fooled. And so I don't necessarily blame a lot of these people who've been lied to, I think they're unfortunately quite dumb and they need re-educating, but that's not necessarily their fault. It's the fault of the machine behind right-wing newspapers and clickbait and capitalism. And I mean, how deep can we go? Like, But I think my mum is on the right side of it. My mum mm. is definitely a trans ally. I wrote an article mm. for Boots magazine about the importance of pronouns and turfs basically came for me and an article about the uh, this ended up in the daily mail the mail on sunday obviously oh, wow. and my mom was like why are you in the mail on sunday you're not famous enough which is <laughs> a, a nice response and then i had nice. to kind of explain all of this stuff to her and i was like some people some people think this about trans women or trans men and i, I talked her through the whole argument and then she made kind of a funny joke actually she was like right so if they don't think that they're women and that they're men, but they're not men, they are women, then they're just in no man's land. And I thought that was really funny. Because <laughs> they your are mom men. basically they're create women. a joke for you? <laughs> <laughs> I've never used it because I think it's a little complex, but I did think it was a funny turn of phrase to describe the situation. Like, yeah, because they are, they are women. So leave them alone. And I just think it's funny. I think a lot of the time, and I say this in my show, like, I think we often bully the communities. We bully If we've been bullied, then we often bully other communities. Like, as a, if you're a woman who has faced discrimination, you are going to be fiercely protective of your womanhood. So it would make sense that you'd attack another woman, either for getting your job or for using your bathroom or whatever it is you think they're doing, that they're not doing. But really, they're just the same as you. They're the same. And we all need to love each other rather than attack each other. And I think that's my theory on the whole thing. I think it's just a great misunderstanding that's been fabricated by the right. Well, that is a wonderful message, both parts of it. <laughs> you know, the how this is being stoked, but also, you know, how we can come to terms with it. You just finished a, what sounds like, not an excruciating, but excruciating in the sense of the length, stint at Edinburgh Fringe. What's your kind of, you know what's your summary of how you felt when it all ended? It was amazing. I mean, it's always such a whirlwind. It's a roller coaster. Nish Kumar calls Edinburgh Fringe a boot camp for comedians. And he is absolutely right in that. Like, I've become such a better performer. You could throw literally anything at me. And I think I could deal with it. Mm. It's just a ride. Like, there's so many highs and lows. I was describing it to my friends at the time, like, walking into... In but in real life, because you're surrounded by everyone else's posters, everyone's stars, everyone's reviews. 
everyone's nominations, everyone's sold out shows. And you're walking through that every day as you walk to your own show. And it's really hard not to judge yourself against your peers and instead just stick to the plan and focus yeah. on what you're doing. And I had quite a lot of times where the bar nearby would just like decide to do the recycling. And so <laughs> glasses would just smash behind me but it's fine because i just called them my latest reviews so <laughs> but there were audiences where people weren't vibing and then audiences where people were really vibing and you know the content is the same so it's a thing and i used to think oh well that's just the comedian like the audience but really you weren't doing your job properly but after experiencing that I now believe that it is the audience. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's I'm them. Sure. It's I'm us, still not you. Sure. It could be me. I don't know. Maybe sometimes <laughs> there's something in the air. Or if a room's too hot, like if the air conditioning is broken, people might be engaged, but not as able to laugh. Or maybe there's a hangover in the air. So there's days that are difficult and days that are amazing. And there's no real right. Mm. Sorry, you just got out there for a bit. We'll edit it out. Final question before we kind of round off this conversation, James. Your mum, Colleen, we've learned a little bit about her in this podcast. You know, she sounds like a loving, wonderful, you know, funny, kind of dry-witted woman. What would she think of all of those descriptions of her? I think she'd be embarrassed. <laughs> I'll never play her this recording. No, come on. I think she'd be, yeah, I think she'd probably be embarrassed by that. But that is who my mum is yeah and she she's really strong and very brave she's a fighter i think i've got a lot of my mum inside me i feel very lucky to have such a great mum that's so wonderful thank you for sharing everything that you <laughs> shared and where can people find out more about the wonderful rising star comedian slash podcaster slash radio host that is james barr so I host Hits Radio Breakfast every weekday morning with Fleur East and Matt, our producer. And we have a lot of fun. So that's every morning on Hits Radio UK. And then I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Just search James Barr. Uh, my website for comedy dates is jamesbarrcomedy.com. And I have a podcast called A Gay and a Non-Gay, where me and my friend who's straight sit down and chat about some of the things we've talked about today. And also just allyship in general. And we get some really interesting guests on. And you can find that at gaynongay.com. Amazing, amazing. Multi-channel, multi-content, multi-format, James Barr. James, thank you so much for your time today. And, you know, it's just been wonderful to hear you talk. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Shout out to your mum and my mum and all the mums. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> all right, awesome. Thanks. Thanks.